It's good to be here this morning, and as we uh, celebrate the first, um, we call it the first the Advent, the first uh, Sunday of Advent, I thought I would uh, take some time for the next four, about four or five messages, just to talk about Advent and to focus on uh, Christmas and what uh, Advent really means. And so we're going to be looking at the book of Luke and uh, just kind of reflecting on what does... Uh, you know, what is it that uh, we are expecting? Um, the word Advent does, you know, does have that meaning. It has, it talks, it's about the coming, if you will. So Advent is, is a Latin word that just means coming. And so when we celebrate Advent, we're just talking about celebrating the coming of Jesus. So how do we do that? And what does it mean to get ready for Jesus to come? That's the title of my message. So how do we get ready for Jesus to come? Because we know that he came once, right? And we know that he's coming again. So we live in between the first Advent and the second Advent. And so what uh, people were doing in the first Advent is very similar to what people will be doing in the second advent. Yeah, you know, sometimes we think, well, you know, they should have known that Jesus was coming, right? Because they've been waiting and waiting and waiting. The, the whole idea of advent is really waiting for the Messiah, waiting for Jesus. And I would have to say that uh, since Jesus came once, 2,000 years ago, we've been waiting 2,000 years for him to come again, Right? And uh, as I was growing up, there were message after message after message on the coming of Jesus, getting ready. Uh, you know, if, if we'd all been ready, uh, those types of messages that were talking about the second coming of Christ and, and that uh, there was a need to, to be ready because he's coming any time, any day, any hour, any moment, any minute. And, uh, and so as we think about Advent, I, you know, and as we get closer to the day we celebrate Christ's birth, uh, it should be uh, an opportunity for us to just ask ourselves, am I getting ready for his second advent? You know, how, how ready am I? And, and, and what, uh, what should I be thinking? And how should I be, uh, how should I be planning that, right? Um, and so we're going to look at Luke chapter 1, and we're going to start off with, uh, uh, you might say, a, 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 a couple that's, uh, you know, you wouldn't think would be a part of this whole plan that God has in mind for the coming of his son, but a very appropriate couple because they were an older couple. Um, it was uh, like an old pastor and his wife, and I don't uh, want to make any, uh, any comparisons here, uh, but the point is, is that uh, the, this, this priest, um, Zachariah, and his wife, Elizabeth, uh, are um, advanced in years. And uh, whatever that means, that uh, means that we're older. And so that's all we're going to leave it at that. And that's all we're going to say about that part. Now, let's pick up with verse 5 because we want to, this is a wonderful text because it's, it, it kind of gives us the setting, what's happening. The last time Jesus, last time we hear God speak in the Bible is in Malachi. 500, you know, 400 years, 400 years have passed since Malachi. There's been no prophecy. There's been just this absolute quiet. God's been silent. Think about it for 400 years. And then all of a sudden, it's time for Jesus to come. And all of the expectations that we would have normally 
don't seem to fit the situation. And so we're going to look here in verse 5. Notice what it says beginning here in God's holy and errant infallible word. Verse 5, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers have been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will not be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah so to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man. My wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which were fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he was making signs, kept making signs to them, and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. And uh, may the Lord add his blessing on his word. Let's uh, just have a word of prayer as we uh, look at this text this morning. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for uh, allowing us uh, the privilege of being able to worship together in your house with your people. And Father, as we bring our uh, praises to you and as we lift up our prayers, we pray, Father, that as we think of uh, Advent and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ, that, uh, Father, our hearts would be warmed, uh, that we too, Father, would uh, have uh, a sense of the, uh, the awesome uh, events that, uh, Father, are not only that have happened in the past, but uh, the awesome event that's coming, uh, Father, in the not-too-near future. And we do ask, Lord, that you would bless your word to each heart here this morning. Lord, may you comfort uh, those who are grieving. We uh, think of uh, the Cooper family, Lord, at this time, and we ask that you would uh, comfort them and strengthen them. Uh, Father, uh, uh, sustain uh, them through times of grief. Father, as, as we... Uh, we uh, grieve with them and knowing that, uh, Father, we, uh, those that we love, oftentimes, Father, are the, it's hard to let go. And yet, uh, Father, thankful for your grace uh, that you give us even in those moments. 
For those that are sick and those who are uh, having procedures this week, Lord, we lift those needs up to you. And Father, we just lift up each one here this morning. Those that can be here and those that can't, Lord, that your hand uh, of mercy and grace would, uh, Father, not only warm each heart, but uh, that uh, your word would be burning in each of our hearts, Lord, uh, making us more and more uh, longing and desiring, Lord, the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. So kind of uh, uh, looking at this text, I just wanted to look at three things here in the text. There's a lot here to look at, but, uh, but looking at, number one, the circumstances, Zechariah's circumstances, I think we have to look at those circumstances and, and look, at, uh, look at those circumstances in light of, of God's timing. Um, and uh, also I wanted to, to look also as, at uh, Zechariah's expectations and, and then look at how that, his expectations in light of God's plan, what God was planning. Um, and then look at uh, his response and uh, in light of, uh, really in light of uh, what, uh, not just uh, what God's purpose was in giving him this, this particular prophecy that was going to happen and that he was going to be a part of and that his family was going to be a part of. And so uh, I think all three of those kind of stand out in this text. And so we're going to kind of move through it that way. But, but, but notice as, so there's this great event that's coming. And, uh, and at least in Zechariah's mind, I think he had, he, he had in his mind that when, when the Messiah would come, he would come in as this great conquering king. So they thought that Jesus, when he came, that he would come just to deliver the people from the bondage that they've been in. Uh, because what, what, what we have uh, in the text, really, you know, we don't, he doesn't explain it. But, but so Israel has been under bondage since the, since the fall of Jerusalem in 583 B.C. So they've been under the Babylonians. They've been under the Persians. Now they've been under the Greek oppression. Now they're under the Roman oppression. So, so, for, five, so for 500, more than 500 years, they've been in bondage. They've, somebody has ruled that uh, has been ruling in Jerusalem other than a king, you know, a, a Davidic king. And, and so there's this, uh, in one sense, there's this, and, there, and then they have all these beautiful promises that have been given to them, like in Isaiah 7, 14, that the virgin shall conceive and bear a child, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, or, you know, you shall call his name Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father the Prince of Peace. So they have all these promises that the Messiah is coming and what they're thinking. I mean, think about it. It'd be like going to the airport thinking that this grand, grand person, this, let's just say that the greatest person you could think of and you go and you're there and you're ready to, you know, you're there to greet them, but you don't have any idea what they look like. You just know that it's going to be a great person. And you're thinking, okay, if this person is royalty and he's, uh, uh, he's a person who uh, has status and has wealth, then you're thinking that it's going to be a pretty obvious person that when they come through that airport uh, terminal that you'll recognize them, right? And they'll recognize you, hopefully, because typically somebody that's greeting someone that great is going to also be somewhat of an important person, right? But what happens is we're thinking, okay, well, who is this great person that's going to be introducing the Messiah? He's going to be introducing, John the Baptist is going to be introducing the Messiah to the world, 
And we're thinking, well, it has to be somebody pretty spectacular. And who is God going to choose? He's going to choose a very lowly, very humble, uh, a, very, a very faithful servant and his wife to be a part of this glorious announcement of the Messiah's birth. So, so, so the circumstances surrounding this are, are, are somewhat, they, they stand out because you're thinking, okay, this, if God is going to do something this great, then certainly it's going to get recognition by a lot of people. But in reality... Notice what happens is that, uh, so, so here you have Elizabeth and you have Zechariah. They're serving the Lord. They're faithful. It says they're righteous and blameless. That just means, it doesn't mean they're sinless. It just means that they're faithful serving God. They're, you know, they, uh, they love God. They, they worship God. They uh, believe in the covenant and the fact that the sacrifices are God's means of covering sin, at least for the time being, until the Messiah comes. So there's that, so there's that aspect of their circumstances, but they're difficult because of this, because they are childless. A woman in that culture being childless was looked on as kind of, they, it, it was a kind of a demeaning position to be in. Here you are, you are a, a wife of an important person who's a, a priest. She's from the Aaronic uh, line as well. So she's a priest. She's a daughter of a priest. And, uh, but they don't have any children, and so there's this heavy burden, this struggle that they're going through. And, and so as, as, this, uh, as this story unfolds, you, you kind of you sense that here they are struggling. And Zechariah, of course, has been, uh, he's going to be representing God in important, probably one of the most important things he'll ever do in life. It would be like the one thing that you hope that you'll obtain in life, you'll be able to get to do as a Levite. So once a priest was able to go into the temple and to present the incense on the altar of incense, that was the, that was the height of his calling. That was, that was kind of like, of all things that he could look forward to, that was the biggest blessing for him as a, as a Levite, as a priest that, serving in the temple. Now, he's not a high priest, so he, this is not going into the holies of holies, but he's going into, going into the you might say the holy place, which was outside of the Holy of Holies, and he's going up to the incense altar, and, uh, and, as, and that incense altar is right at the curtain between the Holies of Holies and the holy place. And, and that incense altar is there, and that incense altar is a picture of all the prayers that are going up to God. And, what do you, and those prayers are prayers that the Messiah would come. So, so that's kind of like the, 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 and yet in the midst of him doing those things, there's this heavy burden that's laying on his heart. Can you imagine? He's thinking, well, you know, if the Messiah is coming, apparently we're not a part of that because we know one of the promises in the, even early on in Genesis is that it would be the seed of the woman that would crush the head of Satan. And apparently we're not a part of that some way or at least I mean they're not saying we're not we're excluded they're just saying at least our family doesn't get to be you know our child we don't have a child to to um, as uh, someone who's going to be a part of of some aspect of the Messiah's coming Um, and so here uh, Zachariah is he's carrying this burden around and uh, his circumstance the circumstances surrounding him are uh, we would say well, you know, you're advanced in years um, and you haven't had a child and therefore it's probably that you're not going to have a child. Um, 
They had been praying, but you can think, all these years they've been praying, Lord, give us a child, Lord, give us a child, Lord, give us a child. Have you ever prayed for something and it just doesn't happen? And in the back of your mind, you're, you're asking what? Why? Why, Lord, why? And, and I don't know that that's a wrong question to ask because uh, we see in the Psalms, the psalmist is constantly asking what? Why? Why, Lord? I, I just don't understand. And I think that he, I mean, here it is, the one thing he gets to do, and I'm sure at the very, in his heart, there's this heavy burden. He's saying, I just don't understand it all. Why, 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 Lord? Why, 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 why are you, why did you not answer our prayer? Uh, we've been serving you. We've, we've, uh, you know, we've, we've been doing what we think we should do as a, as a priest. Um, and, and yet the Lord hasn't answered. And I think, I think a lot of people, I think as a Christian, I can, I mean, I think if I ask everyone here, are there things in your life you ask why? And I, get, and I would say that in most cases we would say, yeah, yeah, I don't understand that. Now, we'll understand one day, but I still think that the question is still there. Um, but think of God's timing here. Here's the circumstances. It seems like they're unchangeable. There's nothing that can be done to alter those circumstances. But in the midst of that, here's God's timing. Isn't that amazing? You know, we think it has to be, well, if God's going to do this, then it has to be something that everyone's going to know about. It's going to be something that everyone's going to recognize. But in reality, what we see here is that the circumstances, I don't know that anybody really under, no, no one but ben, Zachariah at this point, he's the only one in the, um, you know, in the holy place at this point. Because what would happen is uh, there were 24 orders of Levites. And he was, and, and that, or, whichever order was selected to serve, they would only serve two weeks a year. And, one, and there were so many priests that they would have to draw lots to determine which priest would actually get the privilege of going in and burning incense. So, there were all, so of, of the 24 um, different uh, groups of priests, he was one of the 24 uh, and... In, the, in that his order, there were ton, a lot of other priests, and so they would draw lots. Well, his lot came up. And when he would go in to burn incense, what they would do is take the altar, the coals from the altar, uh, the burnt offering that would be, be offered up. One priest would carry those in and lay those onto the altar of incense. The other, uh, and then he would withdraw himself, or he would leave. And then another priest would come in with... with uh, with Zechariah, and he would have the incense, and he would lay those out, and then he would leave, and then Zechariah is left to himself. So Zechariah is the only one that's going to hear this. He's the only one that's going to get this good news, but what he gets is much bigger and better than anything that he could ever imagine, right? I mean, think of what Zechariah is thinking. Okay, well, what, what, what is, you know, here I am, I'm getting to do this one thing, to offer up these prayers to God, and God's going to, of course, in this moment, send his uh, angel, Gabriel, and Gabriel is going to give him this message. And so the angel, the angel appears, and, and it's in that moment that we see his expectation gets kind of shattered, if you will. Well, I always say shattered. I'd say blown up, right? What's he expecting? I'm not sure, I'm not sure what Zachariah was expecting, 
I believe that part of his prayer is given to us here in this section. Notice, notice with me that uh, uh, as he's get, offering up this, and Zach, as notice, notice in verse, uh, verse 11, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled. I imagine he was more than troubled <laughs> in that sense. It says, when he saw him, any fear fell upon him. So he's trembling because you don't see angels every day, right? In fact, when was the last time you read about this, this particular angel, Gabriel, in the Old Testament? Frank would know this question, right? When do you hear about Gabriel? The, first time, the, the, the only time that you hear about Gabriel is up back in the days of, what, D Daniel, right? In Daniel chapter 9, remember Daniel was praying, and it says God told him that after 70 years that the captivity would end. And Daniel was like totally perplexed, and God sends who? He sends Gabriel to say, yeah, this is what's going to happen. And not only is this going to happen, but this Messiah that's going to come is going to end the sacrifices. In other words, the cross is going to happen. He's going to lift the burden off his people. And it's this Gabriel that God sends. And when God sends Gabriel, guess what? Something's really going to happen. It's going to be big. It's going to be messianic. And it's going to be spectacular. It's going to, be, uh, it's going to impact all of history. And so I don't know if Zechariah understood the full, full dimensions of that, but he certainly knew the Old Testament prophecies. He knew that that Gabriel was an important part of God's redemptive work, plan of, you know, of revealing himself because the same Gabriel is going to reveal himself to who? Just later on in this chapter, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Yeah. And you, so you can see that this is, an, this is an important angel, by the way. It's just that here, here, here God saves his best for one of his best servants. Not splashy, not pretentious. You know, he, you know, he's not, you know, he's not, uh, he's not a person that anyone would probably recognize as really a, a person that of renown. And yet, this is the person that God chooses to uh, to send this message to. And it, and it just meant that, you know, God, God was going to do something great. Because a lot of times when you look at Scripture and, you, and, you, and, the, and as you read the story of Scripture and you see something like barrenness, you see uh, uh, oppression, you see um, struggle, you know that God's going to do something in those moments because it's usually in those situations God does things. Like, for example, Abraham and Sarah. How old was uh, Sarah when God said, you're going to have a baby? She is 75 years old. You know, think about that. She's 75, he's 85. And you're going to have a baby. And he's going like, are you serious? <laughs> I mean, you know, and by the way, she's 75. She has to wait almost 25 years, right? No, actually, she would be 65. She waited 20. She was 90 when... Uh, Isaac was born. So she was 65, he was 75. They waited 25 more years before Isaac was born. And um, thankfully, um, thankfully, Elizabeth and Zechariah didn't have to wait that long. But, but, but just think about it. So, so as you see barrenness and you see, you see struggle in Scripture, don't allow that and, and the circumstances surrounding us because we look at as our circumstances, we say things are pretty dim and dark at times.
but don't allow those circumstances actually to throw cold water on what God's doing in your life. And in this fact, we see God, God is at work mightily in this situation. We don't see it. Uh, I mean, people in Bethlehem, I mean, we know that when Jesus came, what? Bethlehem was asleep, right? The world was asleep. The world today is asleep, right? I mean, you know, are we expecting Jesus to come again? I don't hear too many people talking about it. <laughs> and yet, that's exactly the kind of circumstance we have here. We have, we have God doing something amazing. Now, I think Zechariah kind of wanted to, in some ways, not over... You know how something is, is too good to be true? I think that's kind of where he is here. Because when he tells him that he's going to have a child and that this child is going to be, not only is he going to be a person that's going to um, affect a lot of people, but this, this, this child was going to be a Nazarene or a Nazarite, if you will. He was, uh, he was to be raised a certain way. Um, and his expectations, I think, just kind of got blown away. Whatever God was doing was way beyond anything he could think at this point. Um, and, uh, you know, that whatever that cloud was in his thinking, it somewhat affected. I think his expectation was, was too low when God's, ex, God's plan was to do something spectacular, something amazing in his life. I mean, think about uh, what are some encouragements even God gives him. I was, I was thinking about this. Is why should Zechariah have maybe thought, Maybe a light, maybe a, in a maybe a bigger way for what God was doing here. Well, I will think about just think about the scriptures that he knew when the when the angel said that this this child was going to be turning many back to righteousness. What do you think? Maybe he should have thought about. Remember the last verse of the Bible in the Old Testament, Malachi chapter four says that God would send Elijah and that Elijah would turn the hearts of the parents to the children and hearts of the children to the parents. That scripture was right there. And that's the very scripture that, I mean, he could have thought 400 years ago, I remember, I know I've, I've you know how you memorize scripture and you can't remember it when it's really important? (laughs) Well, that's probably what happened here is that the good news is so great that he can't even comprehend the fact that God is talking about him and his child. It's kind of amazing. And, and so God gives him, if you, if you will, God, God gives us the scriptures to encourage us in the moments when we are struggling with what God's doing in our life. He gives you the word of God. Why, why? So, so those promises of scripture are intended by, by God to encourage and to strengthen your faith. Uh, to help you, help you sort through the struggle, to, to allow you to see that, that my, you know, my struggle is not bigger than what God can handle. You know, that God is a God of miracles. I mean, he kind of watered down his expectation, don't you think? Well, yeah, I think God could do this. But notice what he says. How can this be? He says, because I'm advanced in years and she's advanced in years. He knew his biology, right? He was past, she was past bearing children. He was past, I mean, they they were old. I mean, I don't know how old. They don't say how old. I don't want, you know, that's not, the point is that they're advanced in years. They they can't have children from a human standpoint, but from a, just from a biblical standpoint, though, is there anything impossible with God? That's what 
that's, that's the whole point of this is to say, but, but, but you say, well, what's so different between what he says and Mary says over in chapter 1, verse 20, uh, 34? And Mary said to the angel, how will, the, how will this be since I'm a virgin? She's questioning, but, you know, her question's different, isn't it? I mean, I mean she's not married, for one, and, uh, and it's more of a, I need a little more information. <laughs> uh, but, uh, and then, of course, God, you know, the, the angel gives her more information. But Zechariah is basically responding kind of on a, almost kind of skeptical. It's kind of like, yeah, this is no way it's going to happen. You know, what, what's going on here? And, I, you know, you, you, I'm not down to downplay his spirituality. It's just that, I mean, to get this kind of news at this point, I think, was probably overwhelming. That, that he and Elizabeth, after all these years of praying, all these years of, you know, of, you know, that they have as longed for and looked forward to having this child, they still don't have a child. And then God says he's going to be a, really a great child because he's going to turn many people back. to. And in fact, it says that he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. How about that? Does the Holy Spirit fill blobs or does he fill people? That child in the womb is a person. <laughs> You know, for those who wonder whether, you know, is abortion a good or a bad thing? Well, I mean, think about it. I mean, in other words, Elizabeth would qualify for an abortion in the, in the eyes of the world today, right? But not, I mean, but think about it. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And you're thinking like, now how did this, now I don't see him walking any aisles. He's in the mother's womb. And when Mary comes to greet Elizabeth and she's six months pregnant, it says that the Holy Spirit, that, that John leaped in the womb of Elizabeth. And you're going like, wow, God is pretty amazing, isn't he? Yeah, he's the God of miracles. <laughs> you know, he's going to be a Nazarite from birth, uh, there to raise him up for God. And, and it kind of gets back to why do we God give you, why does God give us children, Right? What's the purpose of children? It's to bring glory to God, right? To testify of, of God, to, to, to tell others about Jesus. In other words, God doesn't give us children. It's not just for our, you know, for our sakes and our old age, although that, I think, is a blessing. <laughs> you know, I think of grandchildren are much more fun than children. But the point is, is that, you know, I can spoil a grandchild and send them back home. But the point is, that's, but that's not God's main reason for giving me gr children or grandchildren. It's really what, to train them up so that they will testify of God's grace and mercy and love for us and for them. And, and so, you know, so Zechariah is being told this, and, and he realizes that this is an important part of it, but he's still struggling with the, the, the ability to believe something that's beyond his expectation. And I think his response is almost shocking in a way because if you look over um, at the verse later on, it says in verse 18, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife's advancing years. What's he asking for? He's asking for a sign, right? Um, talking about insult? He's saying to the angel, I believe this if you give me something stronger than the promises of God. Because he's already told him what God has already said, right? He's already, he's already quoted Malachi chapter 3 of chapter 4. He's already told him what God intended to do. And yet Zechariah is struggling. I mean, I, I, I'm not knocking him because I've been there too, haven't you? 
When you think about something that just, it just seems impossible, there's just no way this is going to happen. And you're looking, you're, star you're, staring, you're staring a situation in his face, and you're saying, this is, this is beyond fixing. But we need to, before we conclude of that, we need to ask ourselves, well, but, but God, God's the, God, he's not the God of the possible, the God of the impossible. Why does he bring these things into your life? Why does he bring them into my life? Isn't really to show us not only his power, that he, that he has power over your circumstances, but, but more than that, it's, it's to show you that he's more than able, but he also desires for that situation in your life to draw you to himself. To, in other words, God's more concerned about our relationships with him than about just giving us stuff, right? You ever notice the children, if you give them too many presents, what happens? I mean, I, I just, you know, I'm from that, from that old school, but, but anyway, the, the newer school is, you, you know, and if you've got lots of uncles and aunts, man, you get lots of stuff. <laughs> and so you've got all these presents, and what does the child does? They start ripping open and rip open grandma and grandpa's. <sighs> Great, you know, that's close. Um, and they rip open the next one. Yeah, you know, that's just, you know, I didn't, I already got that one. And they, and they just keep ripping them open, and they never stop to say, thank you for the present. And you're kind of like, What's wrong with this? You know, we're all great about wanting stuff from God, but we're not real good about saying, but Lord, thank you for just you, right? And isn't, there, isn't that what a parent wants? I just love you for you. I just love you because I know you love me. And, and Zachariah, I don't think, is being unappreciative here, but I just think that he's having a hard time understanding how this could actually happen, given the fact that, you know, humanly speaking, it's beyond, it's beyond human uh, ability. And, and so what happens next is really kind of even more uh, difficult. It's because uh, notice verse 20, what the angel says to him, Behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will not be fulfilled, that which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah. So, so what happens is as he goes in and he's, he's, he's putting, he's putting the, he lights the, the fire on the, I mean, he's basically puts the, um, lays out the, um, uh, he's, he's putting the incense on the altar and the smoke's going up. That's the prayers of God's people. The people are outside praying. They're praying for the coming of the Messiah. He's struck with that. He can't talk now. And a lot of commentators said he can't hear either. So at this point, he can't hear and he can't talk. He's supposed to go out. And, as soon as, and this only takes a few minutes. But he's, he's been in here for a while. People are wondering what's going on. When he comes out, I'm sure his face is white, white as a sheet. And he's supposed to raise up his hands and say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace. He can't say a word. I mean, he raises up his hands in silence. He can't, he can't talk. And, and the people are thinking, he's seen something. He saw something in there, whatever it is. And, and not only that, think about it. If you got, you're being told that your child is going to be the one who's going to herald the Messiah, guess what? If I'm the parent, guess what, people? <laughs> I just want to tell you, God chose my son 
to be the one to, hit, to denounce the coming of Messiah. He can't say that. Think about it. That's pretty, I, I would say, I mean, here he is. He's, he's totally deaf, I mean, deaf and dumb, if you will, if you will. And he has to wait nine months before he can speak. Think about it. He can't even tell anybody about this. I mean, other than the fact that people are going to see that Elizabeth's pregnant, you know, she's 85 years old and she's pregnant. I don't, I don't know. I mean, she's, she's up there. And uh, he can't announce it. He can't, he can't, in other words, he can't be a part of announcing. I mean, think of, as a parent, he would be able to announce the birth, the coming, the coming birth of Jesus, and he can't, he can't talk about it, at least at this point. Now, later on in, in uh, Luke chapter 1, we'll see that he actually does. Uh, but he, he still, at this point, he's, he's unable to speak. And... Um, and so as he, as he leaves the people and he goes back home and Elizabeth, uh, she becomes pregnant. And the, the one thing that Zechariah needed that all the people needed in order to prepare for the coming of Christ, you know what it was? The very message that God gave his son, John, to preach. Remember what John preached? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He needed, he needed some repentance here. He needed to actually follow. Because, in fact, what that was, the, whole, the main message of John was not, hey, John's just going to be this wonderful person, everybody's going to like him. No, he's going to probably offend people. He's going to tell people they need to repent. And, uh, you know, and that's going to offend a lot of people. It did. It offended the Pharisees and the, the Sadducees. Uh, because they were looking for a Jesus that would just deliver them from the political oppression. You know, I believe we live in a day when we would say, well, you know, we're kind of under a lot of oppression, right? But in reality, our biggest problem today is we need repentance. You know, I mean, Peter Cartwright, he was a Methodist uh, preacher back in the 1800s, and he was preaching, and Andrew Jackson was in the congregation. And people told uh, Peter Cartwright, he says, now tone it down. <laughs> he, says, he says, well, uh, I've been told that I need to tone it down in my message today, but I hear that Andrew Jackson is here, and if Andrew Jackson doesn't repent of his sin and believe in Jesus, he's going to hell. And Andrew Jackson says, I want to meet that man. He says, if I had a whole troop, a whole squadron of men like that, he says, we'd conquer the world. <laughs> he said, he's fearless. He's, he's not afraid of anybody. He doesn't care what other people think. Well, that's kind of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is basically out in the desert, and he's, uh, he's eating wild honey and locusts. And I'm going like, man, I don't want to eat. I don't, the honey I like, the locusts I don't. Uh, and he's preaching, he's preaching the Messiah. He's not preaching to Jesus, you know, you know, come to Jesus, he's a great vacation planner, you know. Or come to Jesus because he's, a, you, know, you know, you want your life plan to work out, and you know, he's a life planner, Jesus. No, it's not that one. He's not the weight loss Jesus. He's not the health and wealth gospel Jesus. No, he's the Jesus that saves people from their sins, and we have to repent. And, and that's our nation today, right? I mean, we, we, we shouldn't be ashamed of... Now, how we present that, obviously, we don't have to be brash and we don't have to be offensive. But in reality, that's what the world does need. Repentance and faith. It, it, it's not been different. It wasn't different in the Old Testament. And it's not different today. So how do we prepare for Jesus? Well, repentance and faith, that's something that God calls us all to. And it's, and it's okay to when you, when you say, you know, one of the, one of the, when, when you repent of sin, basically you're saying, look, I don't have it together. 
and my life, I'm living my life for myself, and I need to turn from that. And in that, in that process, there's this beautiful big cross that says forgiveness. And God's got his arms out welcoming sinners into the fold. Uh, so our response really should be like what uh, Peter says in Peter, 2 Peter 3.1. He says, what sort of people ought you to be in all holiness and conduct? Since all these things are to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn, or melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So there's this coming, second coming of Christ. It's not going to be like the first one. It's not going to be a little baby in a manger. It's not going to be in, you know, in humility. It's going to be in as the conquering king. And he says, that's going to happen. He says, now how should we, how should we respond to that? And obviously the way we should respond is not unbelief. We should just say, well, you know, God said this. It's going to happen. It happened 2,000 years ago when he came. It's going to happen again. It really is. It's a question of timing. And I don't know what God's plan is, but we do know that the day of the Lord is closer now than it was 2,000 years, 2, years ago. We do know that. We, we can't predict dates and times because we're, we're told not to. But we are told to tell others to be ready because the day and the hour is certain. And it's on God's, it's on God's calendar. Second uh, Peter says, in the last days, scoffers will come following their sinful desires. They will say, where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago. And the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that my means of, this, of these, the world that existed, and that's just the days of Noah, was diluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire. Now, what's he saying? God's word, that's all it takes for God to say, I'm ready, right? If God said right now, it's time. You know, we drop all of our plans. <laughs> we have to. Uh, because, you know, the, in other words, we, we would be like the, the five, at least the ten versions, we would be lighting that lantern and saying, okay, it's ready. It's re I'm ready. I'm ready. Um, he's saying that we should be prepared because that's going to happen. And it's going to happen based on one thing, not any miracle of, uh, or a sign it's just going to happen because of God's word that he said it. And, I, and I, you know, as I, as I think about Zechariah and Elizabeth, I'm glad, I'm glad this is here because I have to say that I identify with Zechariah a lot of times. My circumstances too often determine or say they influence the way I expect what God may or may not do. Maybe our expectations are too low, right? Should we pray that God would send revival? You know, like Isaiah, Isaiah 64, I think it is, rend the heavens and come down. We should pray that. We don't know if it'll happen or not, but we're told that we can do that. We can, that God can rend the heavens. God can send revival, that God can reawaken the dead. He reawakened us. If, if we're believers, then God's reawakened us. And, 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 and that's the one thing that we can hear and that we can respond to is that God, you know, that God actually has given us his promise that 
he does, he does respond to faith. Faith is not something that uh, the world likes to hear. It's just like, because they're questioning, they're skeptical. Um, they're looking for signs. They're waiting for you to prove something. But God says there's going to be one word. And you know, it's actually, it's, I'm not sure it's just a word. It says the, at the last trump of God, what happens? The dead in Christ shall rise first. And then those who are alive awaiting that will be caught up. <laughs> I don't know how much what, the, I mean, that last trump, I mean, the trumps, I mean, you read Revelation, there's this trumpets, right? I don't know when the last trump is, but when that last trump happens, it's a little bit too late to get prepared. It's, it's, you're, it's, it's like that. Uh, it says, at a twinkling of an eye. I mean, think how quick, how many times did you twinkle in just the time I said that? Every time you blink an eye. That's how fast it's going to be. With a twinkling of an eye. The dead in Christ shall be raised. Uh, the perishable will be put on imperishable. The mortal shall put on immortality. But you know, one of, I think one of the last things about this text, and I'll share this before I close, is this, is that here's an older couple at the near end of their life. And what are they doing? They're serving the Lord, aren't they? Will the Lord find us serving? Will he find us? You know, it's not, it's not what you're doing, but, you know, their, their, their heart was right. They, they were waiting, but they were serving. They, they hadn't give up. They, they didn't say, you know, I think I'm going to just hang my shield. I'm going to hang, I'm going to hang up my, uh, I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to, I'm just going to check out. And it's easy to check out. Uh, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's easy to just share and say, well, you know, God, God can use younger people. But, you know, God can continue to use us as we're older. You think, well, what can God do? God can do a lot. I mean, if he can do, so God does a lot of things with weak things. Why? So that the glory gets to go to who? It's to the Lord because, you know, he knows, us, you know, he knows that sometimes when we think that we're, you know, we're the shakers and the movers, we're deceiving ourselves. God's the shaker and the mover. <laughs> but, you know, God uses us as old as we can say, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I mean, think about it. Caleb was 80 years old. Moses was 80 years old. And God says, you're going to take the people into the promised land. And I'm going like, I'm 80. I mean, I, 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 Moses doesn't say this. I'm 80 years old, Lord. Yeah, that means I'm going to have to live to 120 because I'm going to be 40 years in the wilderness. Or Caleb, it says that when God, Caleb says, I just want one more mountain. I just want one more hill to take for Jesus or take for God. When he goes in, he's not, he's not ready to stop. And you say, well, there's no, there's no place in the Bible that says we have to stop serving. And we may not be able to serve the way we want to, but we can serve in so many different ways. I think one of the ways that probably the most important way in a church as we get older is our, the prayers of God's people. The, you know, that's, I hate to use elderly because I fit into that. But, uh, but God uses those prayers. I find that I do pray a lot more because I can't do much more at sometimes. My, my back's been hurting me all week. You know, I, I, can't, I can't even walk up the mountain to look at the deer, much less shoot one. Uh, you know, it was like, okay. Uh, but I can pray for the deer, that they'll, they'll, they'll escape all those mean people that got guns. I mean, uh, you know, the, those types of things. No. Um, uh, our neighbors got a couple of deer on my property, so um, and I told them they could, so it was but it was okay. There's lots of other deer out there. I, you know, I've invited people to come and shoot, but as long as they shoot way back there. <laughs> but anyway, so so God's not through with us yet, is He? God's always got something bigger and better, 
and it's always bigger and better than anything that you're expecting. And I think that that's true. You know, we might say, well, you know, we're an older church. Yeah, okay. That means there's a lot of faith. It means that prayer is something that God's hearing and that God's answering. That means that God is still, God didn't change a bit just because I got a little older and I, you know, doesn't mean that God hasn't, that God has changed at all, that God is actually still answering prayer. And one day, and, you know, we don't know when it's going to be, you know, Jesus is coming back again. I just want to be ready, right? And will the Lord find us serving in that moment? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and just ask that you would uh, use your word to help us prepare ourselves, uh, Father, for the one momentous event that we all look forward to, and that is the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we give him all the praise in his name. Amen. We're going to